All right. Well, joyful greetings. Uh, yes. <laughs> Finally. See, it's going to be a good morning. Uh, I wasn't going to do my usual introduction because, because of the baby dedication. I only have 25 minutes, but there's lots of new people here, so I'll keep it short. I'm not the pastor. Uh, Wilson was. He was just up here. I just love to serve this church as a preacher on the preaching team. As I said, I don't have much time. My name is Patrick Fisher, uh, and I've been given 25 minutes to talk about all the kings in the Bible. <laughs> I told different people this, and they're like, 25 minutes? That's like my introduction right there. <laughs> but before I do that, I, I really want us to have a time of discussion where we can engage with one another. And so I have a quick discussion question. Um, perfect. It's, if you were to summarize the entire Bible in just one sentence, what would that sentence be and why? So pair up, just do uh, pairs and talk about the discussion question. I'm timing you guys now. Go. All right. Sounds like you guys are good. <laughs> well, the reason why I asked that question is because I worry, right, because the question is, follow-up question would be, who or what was the main subject or center character of that sentence? You know, my, my worry is that if it was yourself or people, then I, I strongly think you may be understanding the Bible totally wrong. Um, you may be seeing it more as a yearbook instead of God's actual story. Because when you uh, get a yearbook, what do you do? What's the first thing you do when you get a yearbook? You look for yourself, right? Like I remember I'd go in the back, look at the index, and see how many times I pop up. And I say, oh, I'm five times this year. I'm in the wrestling picture, I'm in the regular picture, and that's it. That's the only thing I do when I look at the yearbook. I don't read anything else, don't look at any other clubs. And so if we have this approach when we open up our Bibles, when we only look at ourselves or for ourselves, then I think we have the Bible all wrong. The Bible isn't a yearbook. It isn't about us. It's about God and his story. And so we've been seeing this as we've been going through our series, Bible in a Summer. We see how God, he creates the universe, and it was good. And we talked about how science proves that God is real. That all of creation is evidence of his truth, beauty, and goodness. And then we talked about how life was in the Garden of Eden. How God creates Adam and Eve in his image. He has a relationship with them. And it's wonderful and it's intimate. And that was very good. But then what happens? Man sins, ruins absolutely everything. But God, he makes a promise. He tells them he will fix what they broke. He will bring redemption. Then Adam dies, and the story continues. God watches Adam's offspring continue to live in sin. It's this downward spiral that only gets worse and worse till everyone's deepest thoughts are nothing but evil. And so the holy God, he responds by pouring out his just wrath on the wicked. He wipes out the entire world with a flood, except for those that he chose. A man named Noah, his family, and the animals. But after, 
After the flood, God makes a promise to Noah. He tells them, I'm not going to destroy the world or mankind like this ever again. Instead, I'm going to rescue and redeem. Then, Noah dies and the story continues. God chooses a man named Abraham. Out of all the millions of other peoples he could have chose, he chose him. He showed him favor, counting him as righteous. He makes a promise with this man saying, look, from your offspring, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your people, the people of your, uh, of your offspring will outnumber the stars and all the other nations will be blessed through you and your offspring. And so, even though Abraham and his wife are old in age, God miraculously gives them a child, and this is the start of God's special family. Then, Abraham dies, and the story continues. Abraham's sons continue to live under God's promise, protection, and love. Abraham's God becomes the God of Jacob, and Jacob's God becomes Isaac God, Isaac's God, and Isaac's God becomes Joseph's God. And God continues to stay true to his promise with his people. God uses Joseph to preserve his family, to help them flourish and grow in the land of Egypt. And eventually, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph, all of them die. And yet the story continues. Years pass and a new pharaoh comes, and he fears that the Israelites, God's people, are becoming a threat because there's too many of them. So he orders that all the male babies be thrown into the river. But God, he saves a baby, Moses, and he raises him up to be a deliverer, to set his people free from captivity. And so Moses, he receives, he, he, he answers the call of God, he helps set his peop God's people free. He receives the law and helps his people return to the promised land where they can be fruitful and multiply. And then Moses dies, and we continue with the story. Do you see what's reoccurring here? We blossom and flourish like leaves on the tree, then wither and perish, but not changeth thee. This story, the Bible, all of, the, all of life, this universe, it's not about us. It's about God. This is his story. And so we continue to see God moving. Where we are is he's setting his people apart from other nations. God has made the Israelites special. He's given them the law and the Ark of the Covenant as evidence that God is with them in a way that he's with no other group of people. They are unique. They are holy and set apart, not because they're awesome or there's anything intrinsically great about them, but it's because God, God chose them. And so many years have passed from the days of Moses. Then something happens that I'm certain, I'm absolutely certain that all of us can relate to. And if I can be blunt, God's people, they ask God for something really stupid. I'll explain. They ask God for a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, chapter 8, verse 4 to 22, it says this, and you can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. 
So all the elders of, the Israel, of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said this, when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will be like. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will be like. He will take your sons and he will make them serve him, his chariots and his horses. He will make them run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvests, and still to others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to become perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flock, and even you yourselves will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we want to be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us, to go out before us and lead us to victory in battle. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. And so imagine this. Imagine the dialogue between God and his people. And Samuel, he's just the middleman, right? But if we were just to take him out and just see how God is relating with his people right now and what they're saying to him, it's like the people of God are saying, God, we want a king. God replies, I am your king. No, God, we want a real king. We want a human king. Am I not good enough? I am the king who has given you so much, who has done so much. Remember the time in Egypt when you were slaves? I set you free. Remember when you were wandering the desert? I provided all, for all your needs. I gave you food and water. I took care of you. But I warn you, if you have a human king, he will take and take and take away from you. He will fail you. But I, I have never and will never fail you. And you know God, what God's people say, how, what they reply with, they say, God, shut up. Listen to us. 
We don't want you. We want a human to rule over us. We want a God, a king that we can actually see with our own eyes because that would be better than what we have with you. And we want to look at we want to look like all the other nations. We want to fit in. We want to be cool. They have human kings too, and that's what we want. Give it to us. And so as I was studying this text, right? and I was just seeing what was going on, I just felt this real, real frustration. It's kind of like when you watch a horror movie, and you, right, and you see like one of the characters make a really stupid decision, like they're running from the murderer or whatever monster, and instead of going outside where there's lots of open space to hide, they try to hide in the basement. <laughs> like, and you're just like, in your mind, or maybe if you talk in the movies like me, you like shout like, don't go there. You're stupid. <laughs> and so as I read this story and I see what the Israelites are saying to God, there's this part of me that wants to shout, why do you want a king? You have God as your king. He, he's better than any human. Why do you want a king? It's, it's stupid. And, and Yet the reason I say why you can relate to this isn't because I don't think any of us have ever prayed, God, we want a king in our lives. But the reason why I know we can relate to this is because at some point in our lives, or many, many times in our lives, depending on who you are, we've asked God for something that was stupid. We've asked God for something that, what, that we thought would be good, but was actually bad for us would actually hurt us and harm us and take us away from him. And yet, what God does is he gives them the king. He listens to them and lets them have what they want. And I also think God does this lots of times in our lives. He'll, he'll give us what you want so that we might be able to, to get, have it and be able to realize how unsatisfactory it is, how it fails us, and might be able to turn back to him to be truly satisfied. Me and Katie, we were uh, babysitting uh, Zion today, right? And he, was, uh, he had the wet, wi uh, the wet wipes, and I, I saw him trying to eat the wet wipes, uh, like put it in his mouth, and I was like, I'll just let him learn. And I, I could easily take it away from him because he's a baby, and look at me. <laughs> and yet I let, him eat, I let him put it in his mouth, uh, and he puts it in his mouth, and immediately his face just turns like this, like... <laughs> and he, t he takes it out, and a couple seconds later, he puts it back in, and it's the same disgusted face. And I'm just like, when are you going to learn that it's not good for you? And I can think of so many other examples you know, boys that are, are thirsty for girls or times where, you know, we just want something. But it won't satisfy us. And yet, and so, God, he gives them King Saul. And, and the, the way the Bible describes King Saul is in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. It says, There is not a man among the sons of Israel more handsome than he, being taller than all the other people from his shoulder and upward. 
And so I, I, I try to imagine what King Saul would look like, and I imagine this, right? Uh, if you can't tell those pictures, uh, that's Dexter and John Whitmore. And so I, I, think about, I think about both of them combined, you know, strong, good-looking, tall. And what, what they, if I combine both of them, I, I get an image of what I think King Saul would look like, and that would be... <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how that got in there. But that would be... Next... King Saul, right? When you combine those two together, you might, I, I imagine King Saul. And for the Israelites, this was the ideal king. He was tall, handsome, smart, strong. He was a great leader. He, he had military tactics. And he also had a great personality. It wasn't just all outside, outside stuff. It was inside. And did I mention he was handsome? And yet, even though this was everything that the Israelites wanted, God was right. Saul would fail them. Because, you know, in Saul's reign, at first, things start off really good. Like, really, really good. There's lots of victory, and things are going well. But as time goes on, his story, his reign, it becomes really tragic. Saul he begins to stray away from God, and because he's the leader, he, he causes the people of God to stray away also. He begins to glorify himself over God. He disobeys God, and then he tries to lie in order to cover up his sins. He misuses his power, and he couldn't even defeat Goliath. And then towards the end of his days, he's plagued with depression and paranoia due to his insecurities. Until one day, his army and his own son are killed by the Philistines, and he takes his own life. But then, we get David. And David, he too was handsome. He too was strong. He could take down lions. But he was better. He was better than King Saul. What set him apart? It wasn't the outside, it was the inside, it was his heart. He was a king that even after he sinned, and he sinned bad. I would look it up, uh, I don't have time to go through that story again, only 25 minutes. But look it up, he sins really bad, but he doesn't just sit in his sin and reflect in it and wallow in it, but he repents. He goes before God and we get this very beautiful psalm of repentance in Psalm 51. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. David, he's a greater example, a greater pointer of the true king of Israel because his heart is aligned with his. But despite how much better David is than Saul, guess what? David dies. And the king after that, Solomon, he dies as well, and so on and so on. All these earthly kings die. 
And the story continues. But the real king, the real king of God's people is still on the throne even on this day. He will never die. He will never be dethroned. He will never be replaced. And he's a merciful and gracious king to his people. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 19 to 25. It says, The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added all to our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your hearts. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased. He was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me to sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Our king is awesome. And so we look at this story where we are in the Bible and all these earthly kings, they point to the truer and better king. They point to Jesus. And so when the people, when God's people, when the Israelites wanted a king instead of the king, it didn't go well for them. And we learn from their story truth that rings right today. That God, the king of kings, does not abandon his people despite their faults and failures. Because he remains true to his promise. I want to close with this. Brandon D. Smith, co-author of Rooted, Theology for Growing Christians, says this. All of us, we're always wanting to be king. Or we're looking to imperfect people to lead us perfectly. But our kings never fulfill us. And like Israel, we never look to the king we already have. The king of the universe is perfect. He's just, he's loving, he's merciful, and he's full of grace. He doesn't barter with lesser kings. He can't be bribed. He can't be corruptible. He doesn't just do good. He is good. Though we live in constant rebellion, lobbing grenades at his very doorstep, he loves and leads. He doesn't smite us. He doesn't exile us. He still welcomes us to his table. Hebrews 4, chapter 16 talks about how we can approach his holy throne with confidence. And so, in light of this king that we have, let us go to him. Just like the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, where they say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
He was born to die and raise to reign. He's the king who didn't send orders from his throne, but rather he walked into the battlefield and he won the battle for his people. His death was the death of death, and he didn't stay dead. His victory was our victory, his kingdom, our kingdom. He's the king that we need because he's the king we can never be, never find, and never elect. Our search was over before it began. He's the answer to every question. He's the king we're longing for, and he's the king all of us, by his grace, already have. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we can declare you as king. That no mortal man, no sinful man is our king. And I pray, I pray that we would look at our lives, where we're at, and we would see, are we giving you the authority that you deserve? Are we trusting you for the king that you are? You are a God who is good. All other authority on earth, it's corruptible. But you, you aren't. We can, we can really trust in you. And you're so good. And we, we can invite others into this kingdom to have you as a king. We, we can go out and proclaim the good news that this kingdom isn't exclusive, but it's open to all. God, help us. Help us to have confidence in you. Help us to not look for other kings, or help us not to try to be our, our own king. But may you be the king of our lives. God, you're absolutely amazing. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And I pray that we as a church and a community can keep each other accountable. That we'd pour life into each other and pour truth to each other. That we'd point each other to the you, our king. For it's in your mighty and matchless kingly name we pray. Amen.